Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast, where game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, hey, hey! And we have another special guest this week. It is Jason from Every Night is Game Night. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Hey, hey, welcome. And welcome to episode 15 of Co-op Cast. This week, we're going to be discussing Pandemic Legacy Season 2. So, Jason, tell us a little bit about your show. Cool. Um, Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate uh, being on here. I've been a fan since the beginning, since you guys first posted in the, the Board Game Geek, whatever the podcast thing is. I uh, love cooperative games. My show, uh, I host it with Anthony Chatfield from Board Games Anonymous. We are a show dedicated to strategy and thematic games. I am the thematic gamer. Anthony is a strategic gamer. Uh, we have a special love for co-op and solo, so we definitely have that in our purview as well. As a thematic gamer, co-op just kind of naturally fall into that. So, you know, Pandemic is my favorite game. I have put in a formal request to be the co-op cast official Pandemic correspondent. Haven't heard back <laughs> yet, but we'll see if that works out. I, we, I think I, we can get behind that. Well, it's funny because we're trying to get a special guest on for like March of next year, and uh, he may be the official pandemic correspondent, and you'd see why if we do get him on the, the episode. Oh, well, so. <laughs> if you're getting Matt Leacock on here, then I see I see that. <laughs> well, but hey, in all other cases, Jason, you're our guy. All right. Rising Tide is coming. Let's do it. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the funny part is you mentioned thematic and cooperative, and then you said pandemic all in the same sentence. Yes. I think a lot of people don't view pandemic as a thematic cooperative experience. I think when you think thematic cooperative, you're thinking things like dungeon crawls, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's where people's mind goes. So why do you see pandemic as thematic? Okay. So I see pandemic as a game engine more than a game. So the base pandemic, okay, I'll play it if there's like a bunch of brand new people at the table, but you can layer on so much, which is what makes this legacy thing so cool. And, you know, so I got behind me Pandemic Iberia. Uh, we'll not speak of Cthulhu. That's that's okay. Okay. <laughs> a total, total money grab that game. It's not bad, but okay, we're good. Um, but you could do so much with the basic concept. And maybe that's evidence to people that because you could do so much, it's not that thematic. Just the fact that it, it's such a simple engine and it could be a vehicle to all these different de- thematic experiences, uh, even including the pandemic dice game, which is, you know, its own kind of creature. And it conveys that sense of like just the fact that you're healing and you're you're doing the cube thing. When I play it with people, I can get them into it. Like it, it's open enough where I can say, "Okay, you are the uh, you know the person that is helping all these people." I think I played with Z Garcia once, and he played the medic, and there was a whole bunch of cubes in like the Middle East area. So he called it the Jesus Walk, where he just swept through <laughs> and cleansed the land of all the disease cubes. You can't do that in Catan. <laughs> Yeah. It, 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 so even if it isn't that, it's there's enough space there for you to put that in, and it, and it fits. So that that's why I, I consider it okay. It's not a thematic game, but it allows for that. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, I, I would say the legacy versions, and also uh, Forbidden Island, which I consider in the pandemic family. I think that's got more theme going on. So I'm I'm with you. Cool. I just wanted to get that out of the way at the start because I knew if we started with that, people would jump on us right from the beginning. So. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're correct. We haven't even gotten to the five points yet. <laughs> yeah. Already contentious. <laughs> exactly. We're contentious from point zero. 
I will say just a two quick programming notes before we get started. Number one, we've all played Imperial Assault app. I know that's top of mind for a lot of people in the co-op universe right now. We are going to go over our quick first impressions of that after the outro. So we'll do that and then I'll put all the bloopers after that. So listen after the ending credits if you want to hear our thoughts on Imperial Assault. My second note is that we are collecting people's thoughts on cooperative games. What's your number one co-op of the year? Please email us. Put it on our Twitter account. You can reach out to us however you want. If you want to send me an MP3, do that. We'll put it in the show next week along with our list of top co-ops that we've reviewed this year. So we want to get other people's thoughts involved in that as well. So please reach out to us. Our contact information is at the end of the episode. Last thing I want to say is... This episode, while we are going to try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible, if you don't want to know anything about the game, first of all, I'm surprised you pressed play from the beginning, but we are going to go over a little bit of thematic background on it, just what's in the rulebook. We're also going to go over the rules of the game, which we do at the beginning of episode. Again, if you don't want to know anything about the game, we're going to have a real hard time telling you stuff about the game without telling you anything about the game. All right, so Mike, why don't you get into the thematic explanation of what's going on in Pandemic Legacy Season 2? Okay, so to be somewhat vague, this is a post-apocalyptic setting, so very different than any of the other Pandemic uh, versions I've played. Uh, The world has been devastated by a plague, and contact has been lost with a large portion of the world. Uh, You have this enclave in the Atlantic Ocean of these havens, these floating kind of bastions of humanity with uh, supplies, but not necessarily enough supplies for all the people that need them. And then they have contact with some coastal cities around the Atlantic. And uh, basically, you are trying to survive in the face of a threat. I won't get too much into that threat. And uh, trying to keep your dwindling supplies going to uh, keep the remnants of humanity alive. I honestly don't think I can get into it much more than that without spoiling things, but uh, that's the basic. So post-apocalyptic, limited resources, and a small portion of the world still in contact with Havens in the center. A.K.A. Pandemic with tons of theme. Exactly. (laughs) Definitely thematic pandemic here. Well, yeah, and just like Pandemic Legacy Season 1, as I get into the rules here, the rules are going to change from game to game. So the game you start with in game one is not the game you're going to be playing after 12 to 24 games at the end of the campaign. So I will quickly go over the basics of the rules. If you played Pandemic, a lot of it is similar, but there are also a lot of differences. One of the main differences is each of the starting cities on the board have three cards in each of the decks. So not only in the player deck, but also in the infection deck. So as you're drawing cards throughout the game... You might get New York, and you may get New York again. So there's opportunities for that card to come up multiple times. And again, both the player deck as well as the infection deck. You have characters. You're going to start in different locations on the map. The objective of the game is to build three supply centers, at least at the beginning of the game. You may get different objectives as the game goes on. But the way you build supply centers is not similar to the way you build supply centers in base pandemic. It's more similar to the way you cure diseases in base pandemic, where you're going to need five cards of one color. So I'll quickly go over the way a turn works. Basically, each player is going to take a turn. That turn consists of first, if they start on a location with a disease cube, you're going to take a wound. You're going to scratch off one of these cool places, and you don't even know what the result's going to be. You could take a wound. You could not take a wound. Your character could just instantly die. But each of your times you start on a place with a disease cube, you're going to scratch off one of the health wound markers on the bottom of your player card. 
Then you're going to take your actions, just like in Based Pandemic, you're going to take four actions for your turn. Those are very similar if you know Pandemic. One is Drive Ferry, basically move one spot. Another one is Sail. You discard a card with a city named on it, and you can move to that city as long as you can reach it over the water. Next one is Chartering a Boat. You discard a card from your current city, and you can move anywhere on the board, again, as long as it's attached by water. These next two actions are a little different, though. You have Make Supplies, where you grab a supply cube and add it to your character card. Another thing you can do is deliver supplies. So once you've got supply cubes on your character and you're at a location, you can take an action to just drop off as many of those supply cubes as you want. There's no limit to how many you can put in any location. You can share knowledge. If you're at a location with somebody that is shares a city card that either of you have, you can give or take that city card from someone else. You can also build a supply center, and this is the way you win the game at least initially, right? You have to build three supply centers to win. Building a supply center, you discard five cards of the same color. You have to be in a city of that color. You do that, you add a supply center to the board in that location. There is also a recon location, which is a way to discover new places on the map. And then you have a couple free actions as well. You could pick up supplies from the location you're at. You could pick up as many cubes or as few cubes as you want from that location, add them to your character card. The last thing you can do is transfer supplies. So you can give or take as many supply cubes as you want to anybody at your location. So that covers the basics of the game. After you're done your actions, then just like base pandemic, you're going to draw two player cards. Some of those will be epidemic cards. Then you are going to draw the infection cards. As you're drawing infection cards, you remove supply cubes from a city. If a city doesn't have any, you're going to add a disease cube to that city, as well as increase the infection track. The ways you lose are either there are no more of the cubes left, or the infection track goes all the way to the bottom. That pretty much cover it, guys? I think so. Sure. For game zero. For Yes, for game zero. And then, of course, the rules will change as you continue along. Yeah. So, Mike, why don't you explain our top five? So, if you've never listened to Co-Opcast before, welcome. And the way we do things here is uh, we will each take turns going through a list of things that jump out at us about the game. Uh, mechanics or design choices that we find most interesting or most compelling. Uh, we're going to go from our number five, so the least significant, to our number one, the most significant. And for each, uh, it might be a pro, it might be a con, or something somewhat mixed. So, uh, Jason, you're our guest. Why don't you hit us with your number 5.4 Pandemic Legacy Season 2? Why, thank you. Very polite of you. Okay, so um, I'm going to begin with a, not a negative, more of a, a minor gripe. This is just me bellyaching for a second or kvetching if you're from New York City uh, or you understand <laughs> Yiddish. Uh, so this one is that Pandemic Season 2 is a different game than Pandemic. So Pandemic Season 1 was basically Pandemic 12 times or, or 14 times with, with expansions added. So like you, if you played through Pandemic Season 1, you would recognize some of the expansion elements that they added in the basic game. That was cool. Like it, you know, it was added some flow, but um, that box was had a lot of components and a lot of the components I already had <laughs> in Pandemic. I already had cubes. I already had the board. I already had the cards. <laughs> I already had the city cards. Why am I like, – they could have really released like a pack just with the boxes and like a piece of saran wrap that I can put over my main board <laughs> and I can like draw lines and stickers and stuff like that. And boom. And I could just buy that again as a recharge pack. And I'd be like – I bought three of those and that would be the same thing as the actual box. So uh, that kind of – that was like – it messed with my mind because I'm cheap. Uh, <laughs> board gamer, of course I'm cheap. 
but I'm glad with this one, it feels different. I, you know, obviously there's a lot of pandemic in there, but I, I'm glad they put the effort. And I, I know Matt Leacock actually intentionally wanted to play with the meta of the game. So instead of removing cubes, you're placing them on the board. Good job by them. I feel like I have earned, or, or at least my friend has, <laughs> has, has uh, spent his money wisely. Nice. All right, Mike, what's your number five? My number five is um, the theme and the artwork for the game. So might not be a surprise to some of you since I was the lead designer of our game Salvation Road, but I am a huge Mad Max fan and kind of post-apocalyptic setting fan in general. Also a huge Fallout fan. And just the theme of a post-apocalypse immediately gets me into this game more than any other version of Pandemic. And the artwork, especially for the characters that you can play, really uh, goes along with this and draws you in. It's really compelling artwork. They look sort of like sand nomads. Again, like a character you might see in Mad Max or Fallout. And yeah, they're they're just fascinating. I I even like the the color scheme. is kind of like this washed out sort of brown, kind of sepia-toned color scheme. And and all of it just works for me. And the, the focus on survival in like the face of diminishing supplies is slightly more interesting to me than uh than like the sort of disease angle of base pandemic so all of that really worked for me and just in general you know it's not a huge point for me but it is a small positive that the theme is more interesting to me than any of the other pandemic versions i've played all right so getting into my number five and guys you're going to be able to tell right from the beginning of my list that i was stretching a little to find five here that were spoiler free so my number five is all the characters have different roles in the game (laughs) how lovely (laughs) wow i've heard that before (laughs) so but but in a serious way here all the pandemic games have this right every every person is playing their own role and it's something i think about more and more as we've designed our games you know some of these games you get into where everybody can kind of do everything well but in pandemic the whole series that isn't the case you really are subspecialized right from the beginning they tell you this is what you should be doing and then they present you with nine other problems that have nothing to do with what you specialize in, and you realize that you can't just focus on one thing, that you're going to have to do some of those things you don't do as well. So again, there are different roles, and you're going to get your role within the group here, but you are going to have to go outside of your role too, because there are going to just be times when you're going to have to do things because you either have the cards, or because you are near that location, or because you have supply cubes already, whatever that ends up being, you're going to have to do roles that you're not ideal for. And I love how the whole pandemic system kind of forces you into those cool choices and those cool decisions. All right, Jason, what's your number four? So so this is a little bit more serious. I just had to get the belly aching out of the way. (laughs) That's number five. So this one, it actually builds upon what I was talking about where this is a different game. So I'm going to call this some counterintuitive mechanisms. So this is, like I was saying before in the, my number five, this is a different game and I appreciated that, but it's, so, but it's the same enough to where there's little elements that are going to trip you up. So it's, I kind of equate it to like, if you know Spanish and you learn Italian, it's pretty easy to learn Italian, but you're going to lapse into Spanish and you're going to snarf things up every once in a while. So, okay, make supplies. New action. It's one action. Fine. Uh, drop supplies. One action. Cool. Uh, drop multiple supplies. One action. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pick up supplies. No action. 
whoa, wait, what? Okay, so is drop action the no action? Which one's the which one's the pickup action? Okay, oh now I can trade supplies. Wait a minute, does that take an action? No, it does not take an action. Trading cars, does that still take an action? Yes. It doesn't sound like much, but when you're in the flow of the game and you're planning out your moves, any pandemic veteran knows there you have those moments where it's like, okay, I could do this, 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 and this. I could move, move, treat, move, or I could do it. But then though all those action things just kind of you lose it a little bit where it's like i'm gonna move move treat or move move drop move it's like nope you can only drop this many cubes or that's a free action you have this it creates a lot of mental overhead which kind of messes with your head and adds a lot of time to the game i'm gonna get to that in a second but so even if it doesn't sound that huge adding time to a game like this is kind of a big deal yeah, and just to agree with that, uh, it, it's funny, Peter, during the rules explanation, you were like, hey, so these advanced movement actions require you to be on the water because they're boats, and that makes total sense. And you know what? I, I'm thinking back to the last time we played, I certainly cheated that at least once or twice because I was just thinking, base pandemic, I have a city, I can move straight there, and that was definitely a landlocked location. So I guess I had, you know, some kind of hybrid land sea boat thing that could uh, just sand crawl up the ground. Uh, yeah, so so that's a good call, Jason, that it is easy to, to stumble a bit with the, the rules that are slight variations on the originals. Well, Mike, I will tell you, your cheating did not help us at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's coming later. That's coming later. Yes. You could cheat yourself into a worse position. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so my number four, I'll try not to be too spoilery, although this is uh, similar to how they did things in the uh, Season 1 Legacy game, if you played that. But I really like the the upgrade system. So again, to be somewhat vague about it, after each play, you get a certain amount of points to spend on things. And some of them become uh, permanent upgrades for your character. Some of them affect the infection deck. Some of them affect the city deck. Some of them affect the board. I won't say any more than that, but uh, this is a pro for me because there's a lot of options. They don't necessarily seem obvious. And uh, one of the best parts of legacy games, which we'll talk about in our design discussion later, is uh, the kind of personalization for me and making it your own version of the game. And I think uh, different groups are going to make different choices with these options and have very different characters and very different looking uh, boards and card decks and everything. So I, I really appreciate that. I think the upgrade deck gives you some tough choices between games and uh, makes the game more unique to your particular play group. Yeah, you know, I didn't put that on my list, but I probably should have. That's a really good point. The upgrade system, I think, is what makes Legacy Legacy. Yes, while changing the board is very cool and the emerging story is really cool, being able to customize a character as much as you can in Legacy games and knowing that it's permanent, and if that character gets hurt or whatever else, that is a permanent change to that character. I really like that how that's done, and I really like how that makes your choices more interesting and more difficult. Agreed. How about you, Peter? What's your number four? So mine is that this is a more open world than any pandemic that we've seen before. It's very different than Pandemic Legacy Season 1, where, as Jason was saying, the map's already set up for you. You know what the world looks like. There are going to be some changes to it, but they're not going to be as dramatic as they are in Season 2. I could see people doing things in a different order in Season 2, changing the way they progress. Yeah, like the world changes and you have agency over how the world changes. Yeah, absolutely. And so unlike Season 1, I think Season 2 really does a good job 
of giving you a unique world that will be more different than it was in season one from other people's boards. Yeah, I definitely agree. So like it was in season one, some things happened where like if you were in the know, you were like, ooh, did you get this version of the game? Or did you get that version of the game? Where did this happen? And it was, it's like a thing. It's like, oh, my God, me too. Uh, this will – this kind of amps that up. Like it doesn't like bloom, 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 blow it out the water. But like you can kind of tell the story of your evolving world in a way where if you can talk to, a, talk to another person, they can say, oh, I, we did this and we wish we had done what you did and, or whatever, whatever. Uh, that's, that's a really cool one. It really is. All right, so Jason, uh, what's your number three? Number three. So I alluded to it a little bit ago. So my my points kind of add up on each other. The games are longer. The intro game is long. And again, I'm trying not to be a spoiler at all. Uh, the intro game is long because of the rules overhead. Like you're always like we're consulting the book. You're making the different decisions and all that kind of stuff. And that's only with like 12 cities on the board. So as you go in, you know, I don't think it's spoiler to say you're going to add stuff. <laughs> there's boxes and there's stickers. <laughs> they're going to add stuff on it. Uh, the games are, they take a lot longer. Like you, like in, when, when we did Pandemic Legacy Season 1, uh, we did it in three nights. Like we just wow. bang, 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 you know, like, you know, we were just, we, we, we got the momentum. We knew what we were doing. We banged out four games, five games, all that kind of stuff. It was just like, easy. It's like you can get a game done in like 30 minutes or so. And then you do your upgrades and then you go back to it. We've done three nights and we're halfway through. So the reason why I wanted to highlight this is because a lot of people, the barrier, and this might be a con when we get to the legacy side, is how do I get a group together? And how do I get a group to actually last towards the end? Well, if you have quick games, you're more likely to hit the end than not have a problem. But if your yeah. game if your game nights are longer and longer, then you might not be able to get your friends to buy in. How uh, raise your hand if you finish Seafall? You know <laughs> uh, those not. I, I know that was not well reviewed, but the games are long, and you know, how, are you going to have that much buy in with all this competition for our gaming space? So. You know, like, again, your knowledge may vary. If you're in the tank for this game, you're in the tank for it. But if you get a group and they kind of fall off, then it, this might be a reason why. So it's just something to think about. Yeah, that reminds me a bit of uh, our review last week for Gloomhaven, which is an even, <laughs> you know, vastly <laughs> longer game. And although they have rules for people to drop in and come back in, you can play it solo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a good thing to think about for any of these kind of campaign or legacy-based games. And the one thing going off of that I'd also like to say is we didn't do this, but I probably would going back. I would play that basic game two or three times also before you start doing your legacy campaign. I didn't realize how much learning there was to the game. Like you were saying with one of your earlier points, it is very different and the actions you can do are different. And I wish I had spent more time in that prologue. I don't know if it would help us, but... I think I would have had a better grasp of the system and I'd be more focused on strategy than fumbling with the rules sometimes. All right. So Mike, what's your number three? My number three is very similar to Peter's number four. And again, without being too spoilery, this is a pro for me. And I felt like there was a lot to explore in the world. And that aspect of it was really exciting and interesting for me. You know, as Jason said, you are going to add things and the way that you add things and the things within things that you add that you can also explore and the story that emerges as you explore things 
kind of tying back into the theme as well, was all really interesting because kind of in a, in a fallout way, you don't know a lot about the sort of state of the world when you first start the game. And both like geographically and thematically exploring and investigating and finding out those details is one of the primary things keeping me coming back and enjoying the experience. So that's my number three, a pro for kind of the the exploration and discovery in general. All right, so my number three is that this is way harder, in my opinion, at least anyway, than Pandemic Legacy Season 1. And it's maybe because I played so much Pandemic, and maybe it goes back to what Jason said earlier about there being so many differences between this and base Pandemic. It's funny, the action sounds so similar, but those subtle differences make a huge difference in this game and how you play it and the things you want to do. And so because of that, maybe because I played so much Pandemic, maybe it's even harder for somebody who's played more Pandemic. I don't know. But for me to get my head wrapped around what we're supposed to be doing, we played all the way through Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and lost two games total in the entire campaign. Already, we've lost three in this campaign. So we actually lost three in a row. I thought we'd be halfway or more done with the game by now. And we're, I mean, we're just starting May. So... I mean, yes, the games are longer, number one, but also I think they're harder, and maybe that's part of the reason they're longer, too. You're having to think more and make more decisions throughout your gameplay as well. I think that was intentional. Like, they approached season one. They didn't know how this legacy thing was going to fly, really, for a cooperative game or whatever. So they're like, okay, let's tune it so that a little bit easier than base pandemic so that we make sure everybody gets through the end and not get frustrated. But I think the feedback was that it's okay to make it a little bit harder. And they're like, okay. Right. (laughs) And here's one thing, because I heard this is a complaint of regular base pandemic. And I think it's more true in this game because I'd never seen it in base pandemic. But that insta loss, people always talked about, oh, I just flipped over five cards and I lost immediately. I got an epidemic right away and things just went out of control quickly. I find that hard to happen in base pandemic because there's only one of each city in the deck. But if you get two New Yorks and then you quickly get an epidemic and New York comes right back to the top of the deck, now... So what happens when you get an epidemic, instead of adding three cubes like you used to in base pandemic, it literally clears every supply cube off of that location, and then you start drawing cards for that location. So you could literally draw New York again, and then add two more cubes, and your infection rate drops two right away from the beginning of the game. I mean, I think our first loss went that way, right? Yeah. Like, we had, like, two cities with three of them in there, and they both popped right away. We had a quick epidemic's. And we were quickly in a situation where we had, like, outbreak level of six right from basically the beginning of the game. And so I had never seen it in base pandemic. I had heard people talk about it. It's like this mythical game we lost in turn four. I was like, I don't even think that's possible. But in this game, I see it as more possible because very quickly, not only can you lose all your supplies in a location, but you're also immediately adding disease to that location. Yeah, and and Jason, before we get to your number two, I was curious about your opinion on the difficulty because you've certainly played Pandemic, I think. Well, definitely more than me. Peter's played a whole bunch, but you've played a whole lot. Does it feel difficult for you as a super expert and veteran? It does. Right, super expert and veteran. I can't count those to save my life. It is is. It is by degrees of difficulty more difficult. Um, we have uh, there was a certain envelope that we may or may not have opened. Oh, we games. didn't. Oh, yeah, I didn't wanna, yeah, we didn't get to it quite. <laughs> and, oh man, I was really, 
I, I almost wanted to just to see, it, yeah. <laughs> not to say anymore. It was. Uh, for the reason, and our first loss was exactly yeah. what Peter was describing, where we had, it was Tripoli for us. So it was like triple, triple, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And then the instant epidemic and then double, triple, boom, boom. And I'm like, ah, we actually managed to save Tripoli, but the right. rest of the world went. Bye, bye. Uh, uh, so once we got on that track, we made some decisions that kind of seeded the, the losses going forward, which when we do like full spoiler pandemic, I'll tell you all about it. But yeah, it, I think this game is a lot more difficult, but there is like, you know, there's, there's snapback. Sure. So I think that, I think the designers kind of had some of those losses in mind. I see a lot of people on Twitter say they've lost March and April. So I think that's a feature not uh, okay. a bug uh-huh. i have to ask matt to to i don't know yeah. like maybe well, that was that was definitely us so that sounds about right all right so jason what was your uh, number two okay so the number two builds on what both you guys are saying with the exploration but i want to take a different track with it yes exploration awesome that's why we play these games to explore stuff and learn new things fill our imaginations with stuff what i liked in particular about how this game does it is there's a psychological kind of thing at play where which prompts you towards the exploration so the, the game season one like the game the box i'm referring to is if you lose four open this box what that psychologically tells you is that it's okay to lose four games which releases a lot of tension so like you know people think oh my god i lost my game is ruined but then there's something in the box that kind of tells you oh it's okay we've planned for this don't worry about it so in terms of the exploration what the psychological does is it gives you a giant board um, but it only gives you a tiny slice of the Atlantic Ocean, and there's all this blank space, which is basically like promise. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Over yonder is <laughs> there be dragons. It sounds funny, but like if, if uh, for all you old heads out there, uh, thirty plus, if you remember the original Super Mario Brothers game, you first booted up that game, you put it in the, the cartridge, and the first thing you see is Mario on the lower left hand screen and a giant blue patch of sky on towards the right. Which just told you, go that way, young man. (laughs) And you didn't even have to open the book to know that. It just showed you. And that's the best way to show a game. That's the best way. Like, I'm always on the look for intuitive things in games. So, like, the fact that you get this little slice of map and this entire blank thing just told you, oh, my God, I'm going to discover this over 24 games. That got me really excited before I even started peeling stickers. And then I started peeling stickers and I got more excited. So <laughs> exploration, yes, agreeing with you guys, but just a little bit of a different kind of flavor on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, mine for my number two, it's another pro. So that's four pros in a row. So take that, Gloomhaven. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our Gloomhaven review. I had a less positive run there. Again, I won't get into spoilers, but as we've mentioned, the types of actions you can do and the number of actions available to you change throughout the game. And what I find really fascinating in this is how wide open your choices are. And in a way, yes, you want to do the choice that's going to get you closest to winning. But at the same time, there's lots of choices that change the board state in a way that can be helpful to you or even hurtful to you. You're not always entirely sure. And those are also available, and you have this really nice tension of uh, wanting to do things for a long-term strategy and for the long-term sort of goals of your civilization, and in the short term to actually win these games of pandemic and, and survive and progress to the next month. 
more so than base pandemic, more so than season one, more more so than any uh, pandemic version I can think of. So I really like just how cool and interesting and different the actions you can take are. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've told people for a long time my favorite game is Blood Bowl. And that is a fantasy sports game. But my favorite part of that game is exactly what you're talking about. You have to balance winning the game you're playing versus the long-term consequences that your team could face. I did not put that on my list. That's why I'm talking so much about it. But I agree. Like, I love the short versus long-term choices that you have in games like this. All right. So my number two is what I called slow progression. And it it might not just be slow progression of the game, and it may go back to what Jason was talking about earlier with just each game takes longer. But I was hoping for more stuff to happen, more changes to the game. I felt like Pandemic Legacy Season 1 changed quicker, and I'm not feeling as much in Season 2. In fact, to some degree, I feel like the story is almost forgettable in Season 2 compared to Season 1. So I don't want to get into spoiler territory here. But I was hoping that the game would progress quicker than it has. Uh, to me, that's actually a positive. I feel like that there's a definite slow burn to it. It almost feels like where if Pandemic Legacy Season 1 was like the A-team, uh, this might be more of an early Breaking Bad season that was like slow and set in the mood. And then it set, it set me up. Like on Episode 5, I haven't seen too much. But I just feel that tension of like, all right, I'm going to get punched across the jaw by episode eight or whatever. And I, I, that's what I'm getting right now. So to me, maybe you just have to learn to watch that pristine, uh, whatever, the, the, what is that, prestige TV shows or anything instead of the A-team, Peter? So. <laughs> yes, Peter, clearly your, your taste is terrible. Well, anyone who's listened to any of our previous episodes know I want everything to go faster. I wanted you to level up and retire a character in Gloomhaven after three scenarios. So, I mean, clearly that is my MO. I do like to feel like there's progression, things changing. Without getting into too many spoilers, like I want to see things pick up the pace here. So that that's my number two. I feel like it's been a little bit of a slow progression for me. All right. So big, big number one, Jason. <laughs> So I could have um, cheated like Colin and taken one of my points and jammed 17 things into <laughs> <Yes>. this. <laughs> Colin calling out on his nonsense. That's right. Spo- spoiler uh, alert, by the way, my number one might be that. Oh, really? <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. Instead, I'm just going to say it's Pandemic. I love Pandemic. It's my favorite number one game of all time, just like regular basic Pandemic. The engine, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, give me some stuff. Give me expansions. Give me Hinterlands. Give me Superbug. Give me, you know, Purple Cubes and Agassi and whatever you put on there. I'm just happy to have it in my life. Uh, Dot, dot, dot. Lots of awesome mechanics as well. Good. So take that's how you do it, Colin. That's how you say a game is awesome. Yeah, that was definitely nice and succinct. Good job. <laughs> so my number one, I've had four pros in a row. Sort of the opposite of Gloomhaven. I'm going to end with a con that's pretty big for me. And it is related to what Peter was saying and might be somewhat colored by our particular group's experience. It's a bit of a combo. I don't like how easily you can lose. I don't like repeating months. It feels like rehashing the same stuff and nothing really new happening in general. And I just feel like that's... It's very similar to how I feel about repeating scenarios in Gloomhaven. Like, nothing new happens. I've already seen the surprise, so why am I going through these motions again? And then kind of the one that clinches it for me as the number one thing that bothers me about the game 
is not only does it suck to lose, but it's not that exciting to win, at least so far. Because, I mean, here's what winning does for you. And this, again, is in the basic rules. You get an extra point to upgrade yourself. And you don't have to repeat the scenario. And especially when it's the second time we're in a month and I wouldn't have to repeat the scenario anyway. Uh, I'm sort of barely even caring whether we win or lose. I'm just kind of playing the game to play it. And, you know, going back to my second, uh, number two, the the long-term strategy keeps me going. And the exploration, my number three, keeps me going. And the theme, number five, keeps me going. But all of it is undercut by this feeling that if I lose, it's an absolute frustrating experience that I can't do anything about. And if I win, it doesn't really matter that much except saving me some time and playing the game. And I, I don't want to feel like I, I'm rushing through a game, and that's what I feel like. I feel angry if I lose because I have to spend longer. And if I win, I feel like I'm going to miss content because I won't have as much time in the play space to explore and, and, and find the other things I like. So I'm really conflicted about just the entire like win-loss structure and the objectives of the game in general. And I, and I'm not sure how to feel about it. Maybe it's just me and sort of a thing I have with legacy games or pandemic legacy games, but it's really a weird kind of cognitive dissonance that I can't get over. I, I guess I can't disagree with you guys more. Uh, <laughs> I really do feel like just the lack... Well, I wouldn't say the lack of things happening. The, bo- I, the board is different after every single game. Either you've explored more things or you've let a city go to... French fries. A, AKA a win or a loss. Um, so those are changes and they have long-term impacts and they, they tell part of the story. And I guess I'm just used to, you know, stories that take a little bit longer, stories that have a slow burn, stories that, you know, they're, we're just kind of setting scene, you know, uh, stories where like the biggest thing that happened was like one person kind of took wounds and there's that moment where you have to scratch off the wounds. You have to wonder whether you got scarred. Uh, so like character moments like that. Uh, when you have that char- when you have that character point, that one point, someone got an upgrade. So like it wasn't just like some point to to do that. It was it it influenced the character. So like I mean like maybe so this is I guess we're kind of arguing about what we as players are putting into the game. So I, I do like so you're saying what I, I all I hear is like you you guys expected more. You guys expected wham bam, and you're not quite getting that. Maybe I'm putting a lot of theme in there, like, you know, tell the story of my my guy, tell the story of the city, tell the story of the world, and I'm happy with that. So I don't know, like, if you can really say if it's a pro or a con, general thematic experience of the game, because it's so subjective. I mean, I don't disagree, but just to kind of counterpoint you, again, everything you're talking about, I agree with. I love the upgrading. I love the discovery. I'm talking specifically... Did I get my one or two or three objective cards fulfilled? And that part I find very uh, underwhelming. You know, like all the other stuff that kind of comes while I'm playing the game is fascinating and engaging and amazing. But the actual, like, specific win-loss condition, not that exciting for me. And, And there's also a thematic thing. I agree it's a slow burn, but this is not a theme that lends itself to a slow burn. You know, it's, it's sort of a weird thing. When a city gets slammed by, like, three or four or five plagues, you know, if I'm, if I'm like, in a movie, like, in a post-apocalyptic, like, kind of movie, that, that's like the Marauders overrunning the oil rig in Mad Max Road Warrior. Mm-hmm. Like, that place is gone. 
So the fact that, like, I failed miserably and I let this place get totally destroyed and all that happens is a single population deduction, I feel like the experience is getting arbitrarily and artificially extended in a way that is non-thematic. Mm. So that that's sort of what I'm talking about. Like, when I lose or win, the, the objectives themselves aren't that intriguing and it doesn't really feel like the world is going to heck or improving in a meaningful way from game to game. It feels like, hey, this is going to take 12 to 24 sessions, no matter how badly you do or how well you do, if that kind of makes sense. So I don't want to turn this into a two-hour two podcast. So, Peter, what's your number one? <laughs> <laughs> Before I do that, I'm going to actually go in the middle of you two guys and say that I kind of see both ends of the spectrum. So to one degree, I do see where Mike's coming from. And for me, winning is winning. It's funny, on that last mission, we had lost three in a row and we finally won the fourth. And Mike was actually upset because of that box we were talking about. He wanted to open that. And I was like, <laughs> yes. no, but we, we won. And I could tell Mike didn't care about the win or not. Whereas for me, I still want to win, right? It's pandemic. I could treat it as a one-off co-op game. And every game I play, I want to win. I agree with Mike, though. The benefits are not overwhelming for winning. The difference between winning and that losing that one mission at that one point. So let's say at that point, one of the cities that had a disease cube got another disease cube. It would have made literally zero difference to the board. All it would have meant was that we get one more experience, right? So the cities that got diseased would have still gotten diseased. But the benefit we would have got, we would have gotten more funding and more everything for the next game. If we had lost. That doesn't matter to me. I still wanted to win. So let me get to my number one. It's actually, ironically, the same. I thought this would be everybody's number one. It's Jason's number five of all things, which is <laughs> it's pandemic, but it's not pandemic. I mean, <laughs> that, that is really what it is. There's everything about this game that screams you're doing basically the same actions you have in pandemic. But I feel like I've never this is a pandemic I've never played before because and I think that's, again, part of the difficulty of the game is. It feels familiar, but yet I don't know what to do. I feel like the choices I'm making are not optimal. And that's almost why I was saying earlier when we were talking about it, I wish I had played that basic scenario, that prequel, a couple more times. I wish I would have felt more comfortable with the system. And now that we're failing and things are going wrong, I feel like I would know more why. And I'm still not sure what we're doing that's good and what we're doing that's bad. So I feel like there's a huge learning curve there, even though for the most part, the game feels just like Pandemic. So it's it's a really weird, you know, dichotomy there, I guess. Pandemic Legacy is a cipher. It is what we think it is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I think we've all got kind of into our, our final thoughts, but let's make it official. Jason, what are your final thoughts on Pandemic Legacy? Uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, I rated it a 10 on BGG, uh, and I haven't even finished the the system yet. It's making me happy to play it. Not going to deny that there are some stumbles. You know, the game's harder. It it is a little bit more frustrating, but it's frustrating in a way that makes me want to get better. Uh, Full disclosure, we lost a bunch of games, and I actually emailed Matt Leacock after the fact to just... (laughs) I did. I'm like, dude, what the... I I didn't say that, but... (laughs) You know, I, whatever, you know, I, it's like what I was really like that emotionally invested that I had to look, look back and like, wow, I, I cared that much. I've never emailed the designer for a game. Uh, so even the losses kind of got me. So like if a game is going to mm-hmm. get me on that hard and emotional level, it's, it's a little bit more than a game. Loved it. 
I, uh, I, let's see what happens at the end. Uh, I'll, we'll definitely check back in if we ever get, get to a spoiler episode on that. But yeah, uh, play this game, guys. Just do it. So were you playing everything right after you emailed them? <laughs> or did he give you some tips? <laughs> the, 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 the quote was something like, uh, what occurred to you is within the cone of possibilities of the way that <laughs> <laughs> basically the cone of possibilities. <laughs> yeah, cone of possibilities. So like we I were like definitely that. on the outer edge of that cone with the way I described the scenario, what happened. Nice. All right, Mike. So what are your final thoughts? I'm, I'm fairly conflicted here. Um, full disclosure, I've you might you might have heard this a bit. I think I mentioned this in our in our episode zero. But uh, the Pandemic series of games is not my favorite. I I actually much prefer Forbidden Island to, like, Base Pandemic or Base Pandemic with some of the expansions. I I haven't taken it as far as Jason's, so there might be some really amazing content in there. You know, it's it's a bit more on the Euro side of things, and I don't find the theme very strong in Base Pandemic. So this is actually... I think I'm pretty safe in saying this is my favorite version of Pandemic that I've played. Probably mainly because I think the theme is so much stronger and more exciting to me, and also just a theme that's in my wheelhouse. That being said, I am very frustrated with the game. If you had asked me after the intro scenario and the first two months, I probably would have been kind of right with Jason. Like, maybe not quite as effusive, but like a 9 or a 10. After those three losses in a row, even if they are a feature of the game that is within the cone of possibilities... (laughs) It was very, it was very frustrating to me, and and it did expose at least what I consider. I know this isn't a universal opinion here, but what I consider some flaws in the design and in the sort of uh, reward structure of the design itself. So yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I think I'd still recommend people play it, especially if they're fans of Pandemic or Pandemic Legacy uh, Season One or just Base Pandemic. And I, I think most people would enjoy the experience. But, yeah, not not a slam dunk for me. Uh, if I was rating it right now, it'd probably be like a 7. I'm actually not super excited to keep playing it. I want to because I'm invested in the story and the theme and the exploration. But, but yeah, m- my excitement has been fairly majorly dampened, I'm sad to say. And I'm really hopeful that later months will turn that around because we did have kind of a bad run there. But uh, I'm not sure if it will. Yeah, and again, I think I'm between you two guys. This is definitely not my favorite co-op game of the year. I guess I am spoiling a little bit for next week's episode, but the more and more we talk about it, I I feel the same way as Mike, and maybe it's because we are in the same game. Those losses, those three in a row, and Jason, you even said it, they got to me. You know, I was all for the game. I was so excited for it. But those, you know, it's disheartening to lose a game over and over again. And here's where it's the most disheartening for me is I don't, still know what we need to do to turn it around. It's not like where you play a game and you're like, yes, this is it. This is what I was doing wrong. We have theories. I'm not going to go over them here because that would definitely be spoiler territory. We have theories on what we should be doing differently. But when a game keeps making you lose, it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong. All that being said, I definitely am excited to play it through to the end. I definitely want to get better at the game. Like, it is frustrating in the way that makes me want to play it more and get better and better at it so we can kick its butt near the end. And I do want to see (laughs) the conclusion of the story. I think it is slower than Pandemic Legacy Season 1, maybe because we're losing more. But to some degree, it's also 
different than season one. Whereas at the end of season one, I still kind of knew what to do because it was very similar to doing things I would do in base pandemic. Whereas here, I still don't know what to do. And so because of that, I'm excited to explore the system more as well. So for me, I would definitely try it. If you like pandemic, I would definitely give it a chance. But I definitely feel like it's harder. Just prepare yourself for that mentally going in. I wouldn't hesitate to play the, like I said, the prologue a couple times just to get the system down. Although I don't know that it will prepare you for the challenges you're going to be faced with in later scenarios. I still think the better you know the base system, the easier it's going to be for you to come up with different solutions when you're faced with a problem. All right, so there you go. It sounds like generally all of us recommend uh, to varying degrees, but all of us think you should try out Pandemic uh, Legacy Season 2. And we're going to go straight into our design discussion, which appropriately this week is dealing with legacy games in general. So we're going to talk about, uh, in terms of designing a game and what should be in these kind of games, what are some things uh, that are good about having legacy elements in your game design, what are some things that are maybe bad or worrisome or things to avoid, and general suggestions. I guess I'll start. So uh, the first pro I had for including legacy in your game design is uh, that it does allow you to craft a unique personal experience where you feel, whether or not it's 100% true, you feel like you are playing the game in a way that no one else has ever played it before. You know, and games do this in different ways. Uh, Gloomhaven, I might call out the evolving event deck, where you're adding uh, cards as like characters retire, and some choices you make lead to other choices, and cards are ripped up and never seen again. Risk Legacy, you had like the board adapting, and the factions changing, and different powers being granted to people, and you're actually like writing names on the board. Pandemic Legacy has the same kind of thing there, and also the customization of your characters, and the damage to your characters, and all that kind of stuff. So I think uh, that's a big pro, that I I will feel like I have a different copy of the game, a personalized, unique copy of the game that no one else will have. I think I want to kind of take that and like blow it out a bit. And I mean, I'm not a game designer. You know, I have no desire. You guys go ahead. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of what I want to see in a design, what Legacy really does uh, for me is it takes board games and like blows them out into not just board games anymore. We just finished talking about how the legacy created an emotional response in me. I'm not emailing Antoine Bowser if I lose a bunch of ghost stories games. I don't really, I am (laughs) going to lose a bunch of those games, but I don't really feel the need to do that. But here I did that. And I think like the medium of it, the medium of board games is becoming more and more emotional and it's reflecting kind of what I think is happening in entertainment in general. What, what are the popular shows nowadays? It's the, the bingeable shows, right? The shows that you're, you, you go in and you play, you, you do a bunch of episodes of it and you're done. It's not like the Cosby show where you can <laughs> just watch all the episodes and laugh at the, the individual little snippets or whatever. Um, I really think that the legacy thing just, if you do it right, and any designer that does it right, just keep it. Keep in mind the emotional and psychological too. I was talking about that before about how legacy. Also, don't just put a bunch of stickers in there and call it legacy. Don't just put you know like oh my story evolves and call it legacy. It has to involve those human faculties, or it's just not going to work. It's a good call. Yeah, Peter, a pro for you. All right, so my number one pro for Legacy is, as you guys have been saying, the evolving story that happens. I think there is a lot of ways you can take this story. And so for me, it's not just positives. It's those negatives carrying forward. It's that town destruction carrying forward. 
Another pro I had is that because you are actually destroying components, marking up components, you know, permanently disfiguring your game, which could be a con for some, I think it does, this kind of goes along with what Jason was saying, but using legacy elements can increase the tension of the game, can increase the emotional investment, can increase the weight of decisions and kind of the feelings you make because they are literally not alterable. They cannot be reversed. You know, if you're actually doing what the legacy game tells you and actually ripping up components. Although, man, you see a lot of people finding ways to make a legacy game not legacy (laughs) with removable stickers and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I, I don't want to totally reiterate, Jason, but I totally agree with what you said. I think uh, more than almost anything, these can lead to amazing experiences, amazing emotional investment, and just really up the the ante on... uh, all the feelings you get playing the game. Yeah, and I think this isn't necessarily have to be legacy, but this definitely introduced it is the concept of like opening boxes during the game. So when Rob Davio, I think he attended a talk or something, I forget exactly where I heard this, but he talked about how the moment of pure joy when dealing with a game came with opening the box. And so you're having fun, but it's a kind of cognitively involved kind of fun if you're playing the game. I'm just talking about that childlike, I, I never remember that. I remember when I first got like, I got a video game when I was five and I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to take the shrink off and stuff. So like they, they found a way to inject that childlike sense of joy into a game. And like I said, it doesn't have to have legacy in it. Gloomhaven is not real legacy game. You could have, you know, I think Mechs vs. Minions had that like boss thing in the box or whatever it was. And that became sure, cool. Sure. Um, so it's just more of a scenario campaign thing. But I like the fact that legacy brought that in to our lexicon and now more did more companies are giving us a sense of like okay let's open more stuff and not just like open it but like earn it from scenario to scenario so yes uh, more boxes but like i said it has to be emotional if it's not emotional then don't bother yeah there's definitely a toy factor there and that's another thing you don't have to be totally legacy to be campaign i think you know when legacy first came out i had a real hard time differentiating a legacy game from a campaign game and i think part of it is that toy factor opening things up but i think the line is blurried a little bit i mean even games like oh my goods which is just a little card game now has a campaign system to it where you flip through the cards and it says if this happens get card 5 or card 7 and do this and so even that game you're exploring a world and i like what legacy has done to add that into the game design repertoire that we have, whether you do it as legacy or not, whether you're tearing up cards or not, it doesn't matter to me. That strong narrative, that strong campaign, those permanent changes you can make to a game or non-permanent changes that you can undo. I like what that's added to what is now acceptable. Right. And I think the difference with legacy and the benefit of legacy is when you tear something up or when you permanently write on something, There's no going back. Mm. And that feeling of permanence, I think, does add an extra level of emotional investment, which isn't there. So it's funny to me that everybody's like making their legacy games not legacy. I think you're actually losing a little bit by doing that because you're like, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm not really committed. Whereas when you write something on the board in a legacy game, you are now committed and invested in that game. Right. Like, um, I think Charterstone came out and they talked, I think reading some of the reviews of it or the people who've played it, they, that that's a legacy game, quote unquote, you, you, I think the intention 
was that you shape the city as you go and then you can play like on the city at you know after game 12 or something like that but that one i guess from what i'm re- i didn't I haven't played it but just from what I'm reading it's like okay that one is like okay i'm setting up to play a real game now <laughs> Interesting. And that one, it just, it, that, it, is it legacy if it just does that? You know, and then there's the recharge pack. So you can, like, if you want to just, like, you know, reset and do, like, whatever. Did that game need to be legacy, really? Again, I haven't played it. Hmm. I'm just looking at it. You know, just because you slap the removable stickers on there doesn't mean that you get at what legacy kind of quote unquote is supposed to do. And I, I get it. I don't want, like, every, like, it shouldn't be the Davio legacy. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that doesn't have to be all of them. But I do think that there is a like a narrative excitement that come that should come with a legacy game, and it isn't just building. Like we're not playing The Sims, you know. If you wanted to play The Sims, to play The Sims. But if you wanted to do a narrative story with a beginning and an end, and something that I'm, you're going to tell your friends two, three, four years down the road, I could still tell my Pandemic Legacy Season One stories. And it's been how how long? A year and a half, two years, or whatever it is. I remember some of that stuff like it was like I just had it a little while ago. But if I'm just slapping stickers on there for the quote unquote evolution of it and it just kind of results in this thing that doesn't have an emotional pop, then I think that takes legacy down a road that it didn't need to go. So that perfectly leads into our cons. Uh, Jason just had one there or, you know, not even cons, something to just be cautious of. Mine is a bit of a personal one, but it is one that matters a lot to me for my emotional investment. I call it the Telltale Games problem. Uh, Jason, have you played any of the Telltale Games, Mm. like The Walking Dead? Oh, yeah. The Wolf Among Us. Yeah, Wolf Among Us. Uh, My favorite is probably the Borderlands one. Mm -hmm. So for those who aren't familiar, Telltale Games has uh, blown up in recent years. They uh, produce episodic content where you make choices. And, man, they they slam over your head every episode. (laughs) The choices you make will alter what happens in the storyline. And uh, I still enjoy their games, but not as much because of the problem I'm about to discuss, which is that when you play through enough of their games, or more importantly, when you play through the game a second time, you start to realize that a large, large majority of the content is identical no matter who you are, no matter when you play, Mm -hmm. and that it is the illusion of choice and the illusion of variety instead of true variety and true choice. And that's something I would caution people doing legacy to try to avoid. If you're going to secretly railroad your players into basically the exact same events and the exact same content, by and large, and their uh, choices and sort of the legacy aspects aren't as legacy as they seem, I think that can be incredibly frustrating. And the thing is, you probably get away with it because a lot of people won't play through it again. But if they start comparing stories, if they start discussing it on Reddit or BGG or whatever, then, uh, you know, the, the curtain might come down and they might realize, hey, we're not really having a unique experience. We're all doing kind of the same stuff here. You know, if I find out in Pandemic Legacy Season 2 after we're done that everyone's characters developed the same way and everyone's map looked the same, that would be a frustrating kind of disappointing thing for me. I'm fully confident that will not be the case based on what we've already seen happen. But it's just something to kind of be cautious of. Don't don't try to pretend you're Legacy and then actually just have everyone have the exact same experience. I can't tell you. Like, you, I played the Game of Thrones uh, Telltale game. Yeah. Can't tell you how many times, like, I would make a choice. Do you save the villager or do you leave him to his fate? And then I save him, and then he gets shot with an arrow on the yep, next Yeah, it's the exact same thing. What happened? <laughs> Why did I agonize over that choice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, it's really frustrating. <laughs> Peter, do you have... Well, I, I have the opposite side of the coin to that, actually. So I'm not sure that I totally agree with you there. 
and it goes back to the narrative element. And I think that's the one thing that has been missing for me from legacy games ever since Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I think the narrative element in Season 1 is what made it such a great game. And I think it didn't matter that the story didn't arc and we're all going to have the exact same story. That almost made it better because everybody talks about those big reveals in Pandemic Legacy. It's like, oh, have you gotten to this month yet? Oh, that was a big reveal, right? And there were a lot of these moments in the game that made you feel like you were doing something cool. It's like going to a movie and seeing a great movie. And all you want to do is talk about it with other people. Well, if their movie they saw was different than your movie, (laughs) you can't really share your experiences, right? So if they went and saw The Avengers and you went and saw Thor, you can't talk (laughs) about it. So I think that while, yes, it could be a con, I also think it's a pro how strong the story can be and how attached you can get to your characters and the things they can do to yank the carpet out from under you. I think is pretty cool in legacy games, and so I don't mind if the story is a little bit on rails, as long as it is a cool story. To be honest, so far, I think that's the thing I'm more disappointed about with Season 2, is that I'm not getting that cool story that I was hoping for. Like, the story is a little forgettable, and I I have a feeling that's what's happening with Charterstone. I have a feeling that's what happened with Seafall. I don't know that any game has captured that right except for season one so far, at least in my mind. And again, we're not done, right? I am hoping and waiting and praying for that moment to happen in season two where my mind is just blown. And, and now I'm more into the story than you are, I think. Like, my, my, my concerns lie slightly elsewhere. I see what you're saying. But I, I, I am invested. I think it is. Like, I want to find out the mysteries that are being laid out, and I know I'm going to find out. So I, I am at least in, in for that for season two. Right, but I do think it's something that, you know, you you can you don't have to shy away from having a story that has an arc, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and if it's the same for everybody, I think that's okay. Maybe they get there in slightly different ways, but I don't mind sharing my experiences with people, like how things happen. So, Jason, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yes and no. Like, I think I think everyone needs kind of the same basic story, but with enough wrinkles to make the difference and make it pop for you. I do want some of the characters to be different. Um, you know, if there's like a major reveal, there's something that re- got revealed about the backstory of the character. I would like for that to play out in different ways. Like even sure. though the reveal is basically the same, I'd like to say like play out in slightly different ways depending on the character, whoever it is. I, I think I um, when you guys talked about Match the Bandits in that previous episode, you actually criticized the fact that you felt like you played a movie. No, no. P- for Peter, that was I think a pro. P- Peter is definitely in. F- Am I saying that right, Peter? Well, it was a little bit mixed for me, I think. At first, I felt like I wasn't making choices in it. And then the more times I've played it and the more different scenarios I've played, I felt like I did make more choices. But it definitely felt like you were along for the ride sometimes, too. And it did feel like my choices, I didn't I didn't have to emotionally invest as much. And that's why I guess it, it was a little bit mixed. I wasn't making hard choices, right? It's not Spirit Island where I'm agonizing over choices. Should I move this here or should I do this? The choices were fairly straightforward. And if they weren't fairly straightforward, it's not like I knew a lot of times what the outcome was going to be anyway. I see a shiny item in a bush. Is that good <laughs> or is that bad, right? I, I don't know which way to – I don't have enough information. So, yes, I'm making a choice of whether I want to investigate that bush or not. But I feel like I didn't have enough information to make that right choice. And I don't know that there is a right choice, right? You're, you're just playing it for the story, I felt like, more than 
playing it for what great tactical choices am I going to make here? So for me, that playing a movie can kind of cut both ways. I don't know. Like, I, I actually don't love Mansions of Madness because uh, of, of that mm. feeling. I, I think the tactile nature of it, the, the stickers, really makes a difference. I think also that as Legacy has developed, the trend has been towards let's do rechargeable because there's so many people complaining. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. you know, uh, oh, no, well, I'm destroying my game. Why can't you just make it so that I can recharge it? What if I have different people coming in the group? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so then all the, the later Legacy games are like have the recharge packs or, you know, well, we can, uh, I think um, even a game like, you know, Centauri Saga, which was on Kickstarter, they said, okay, we have Legacy 2, uh, but you can play all the components. And that was like a selling point, right? Uh, and Charterstone, you could play the game over and over again. Here's, here's a recharge pack. I think that's a loss. I think that's looking back. I'm not gonna remember. Like, yeah, sure, I, maybe I will remember like the experience of opening up the toy. But the fact that I, yeah, I'm torn. Like, it, the permanence of it and the tactileness of it. You know, playing a movie is great, but that's a mental event. Like, the fact that I've actually changed the board itself and I've given myself that feeling. Like, I remember that. Like, I rem- I remember like having to take you know whatever city was burned to complete smithereens and like put that zero on there for no population and going no <laughs> uh, or whatever happened like and, and and i only remember it because my finger did it so like just to get back to your original point peter yes uh yeah that there there should be a shared thing but there should be enough wrinkles to make you remember like and i think i think that's the, at the end of the day like it should hit our emotions and our memory like this isn't a game that should hit uh, that should please us like cognitively shouldn't like you know please us puzzle wise you need that in order to be a vehicle like if the game sucked mechanically this isn't going to do anything but if it doesn't hit our emotions and our memories then there's no point no point in being a legacy game well one point we haven't hit on yet though and i think this is an important point and something that i've heard discussed on other podcasts before is i think legacy works best in a system you already know yes risk legacy worked well Pandemic Legacy worked well. And I think this is the thing that sold me on that thought more than anything. Is Pandemic Legacy Season 2, I think the reason it's more of a slow burn than Season 1 is people don't know the game well enough. You're having to learn the game. They don't want to change too much or jump you in too far before you've learned the basic systems of the game. So I almost feel like with some of these Legacy games... You've got this slow ramp up to learning the game, and then they can really start making changes. Whereas Pandemic Legacy Season 1, halfway through Game 1, they already changed what you already knew about basic Pandemic because you could play that game so many times and people did play that game so many times. So I think that if you're building on a system that already exists, I feel like it's got to be simple like Pandemic or Risk. It makes the game a lot easier, and it makes it so you're able to more quickly pick it up and have more of those plot changes in. Well, and to bring that to like a general design tip, I mean, clearly we can't say to designers, hey, have a super successful game first and then make a legacy version of it. Because, <laughs> hey, that'd be beautiful if we could all do that. To break your point down into its smallest tip, have a simple base system that you can layer changes and complexities and things on top of, which is true of a lot of games, you know, like campaign games, I think you have the same kind of thing. But yeah, because I think if you start so complex, then yeah, it's going to be challenging for a game group to keep up with the changes because they're already forgetting the rules in the base game. So yeah, I definitely think that's a good piece of advice. Well, and the other thing is it doesn't have to be legacy, right? right? I mean, I think it's something that's hot right now, but there's nothing wrong with a campaign game. 
you know, there are ways to do things where it's not permanent changes to the game. I think unless you're Rob Davio or unless you've got a super successful game like Pandemic, maybe my tip would be take a step back. Don't do Legacy right off the bat, right? Do a campaign game. Do something that's resettable. I feel like there are more traps that you can fall down than benefits to the Legacy system when you're starting from scratch. And something else we haven't talked about, and it's sort of weird to consider, is, is what makes Legacy Legacy like the writing on stuff? Because, for example, like unlock the unlock series that we reviewed or uh sherlock holmes consulting detective or time stories there's a whole lot of games coming out that are one-offs you know for you and your particular group but the game itself has not been altered and you can pass it on to somebody else but kind of like a legacy game those games take me along a journey i have potentially an emotional like commitment to it but i haven't written on anything and it can go to somebody else so it is sort of weird, like, apart from Rob Davio and the stuff he's doing, like, what is a legacy game as compared to a resettable single play or X number of plays game? I think it's the permanence. I think it's you have to have the stickers. You have to have the writing. You have to have the destruction. I mean, and I know the, you didn't go back. I mean, they say the exit series. that has the destruction and permanence. Sure, <laughs> sure. It I, I, but it has to marry that with a sense of ongoing narrative with a beginning yeah. and end. Sure. No, that makes sense. I think I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and like so, it, don't skimp on that. Like you know, like you, I think you alluded to that. It's like okay, you know, make a campaign game. I think campaign games are probably a little bit easier to make. I imagine so. But if you're gonna do a legacy game, make sure you have a lot of uh, a lot of background and really yeah. know what you're emotionally trying to create in a person. It can't just be oh, this is fun. Like fun is, in a, is yeah. a great emotion, but you can have fun in a lot of ways. Like the whole reason Pandemic Legacy works is because I felt thrilled. Like, you know, like when I when I completed the mission in Pandemic Legacy Season 1, we put on the AT music. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'm not doing that for any other game. Uh, so it has to have hit that extra layer of emotionality and it has to hit the extra layer of tactileness. So I guess Legacy is just that is, it's like campaign extra. You know, can we say that it's a campaign yeah. extra with the emotionality and the tactileness, and that's legacy. Cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it is an evolution and a great one yeah. to campaign settings, and I love what it's doing. So, if you can find a way to do it without the tearing up and everything else, I think you're gonna have an easier time pitching it to a publisher. Yeah. All right, so uh, that that'll wrap up our discussion there on legacy games although of course there's a lot more to see with what uh, creative people are going to do with these rules and uh mechanics over time uh jason can you give us another uh pitch about your channel and some upcoming content before we uh, sign off absolutely uh, thank you very much uh so i am from the every night is game night podcast like i said we're a podcast me and anthony chadfield from board games anonymous we discuss strategy and thematic games with a special emphasis on cooperative play solo play you know get things that get people involved our next two episodes are actually going to be pretty huge we are going to launch our commentary on the top 100 solo games people's choice list from the one player guild a lot of people get into that it is a massive shopping list <laughs> basically you will injure your wallet if you take a look at that list it's all, we, we did it last year a very popular episode tune in this year uh and they're not just solitaire games quote-unquote solitaire games they're the games we talk about pandemic legacy will be on there gloomham will be on there too many bones bench the badness all the games that we talk about in this show as well uh we're gonna hit all those games 
let's see where they rank where it's let's see where a lot of different voters ranked on those so those are our next two episodes we're weekly tune in lots of different um we have interviews we've interviewed matt leacock uh rob davio not rob davio um uh, uh ryan lockett um adam and josh carlson for too many bones a lot of different interviews just please check us out and thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to pitch my stuff and talk a lot over the last how i don't know how long this episode is going to turn out but thank you for letting <laughs> me talk <laughs> no man it's it's been fantastic having you and i, I love i mean i i play i play solo games more than co-op probably even though we have the co-op cast of course so i'm really excited but to hear that content that's great well, all right well thanks for joining us again we'll be back in two weeks remember it's going to be our year-end episode where we take every game we've looked at this year and rank them from one to 15 oh peter my list man it's just <laughs> it's so tough to figure out well you know what i have full faith in you and I will say we've already started collecting feedback also. So don't forget, email us, hit us up on Twitter, and let us know what is your favorite game that is new to you this year. It doesn't have to be a new game, but new to you this year. What's your favorite co-op from the year and why? You know, hit us up and let us know, and we will compile a bunch of those for the next episode. And stay tuned for a little preview of Imperial Assault, the new uh, app from Fantasy Flight. All right, and we'll see you in two weeks on Co-op Cast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-op Cast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com. All right, so welcome to the after show. This is the first like official after show I think we've actually had. It's very, Ooh. yeah, it's exciting after show. I'm going to get a martini. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. Alcohol is necessary for the after show. You're not allowed to listen or record unless you... <laughs> no, alcohol is definitely not a requirement for the after show. Uh, <laughs> Peter is no fun. <laughs> Peter is like the, the grandmother of the podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Now, now, children, we do not have to have alcohol to have fun. Let's play Parcheesi. All right, so our first after show, we're going to be talking briefly. Uh, we've all gotten a chance to play the very recently released official Fantasy Flight Games fully cooperative app for Imperial Assault. What's it called? Heroes of the Rebellion? Is that right? Anybody know? Heroes of the Alliance? Heroes of the Alliance. That sounds right. Heroes of the Alliance. That's right. Yeah, so... Uh, Jason, how much have you played of it, just to get a feel for where we all are? The tutorial. Just the tutorial? So, Peter and I have played through two story missions, and I've also played the first mission with my wife, and again with my five-year-old. So, none of us have gotten too deep into it. Jason, how many players did you play with? Because we've only done two-player. Uh, we've done four. Okay, cool. So, if you have any different experiences to share with that. Yeah, so, uh, I guess just briefly uh each of our thoughts jason you're the guest you want to take it away what are you feeling about it so far uh, <laughs> uh okay so maybe it's good that i go last so that you guys can counterbalance me because i i didn't love it i'll just i'll just put it out there right now it felt very warmed over so you played the descent app i played a lot of descent 
uh, when the app came out, you know, the different um, campaigns and characters, and it, you get used to it. And then in Manchester Badness is, you know, it was a different Cthulhu thing. You had puzzles and all that kind of stuff. By the time, this is the third iteration of that system, right? And is it really different than the other stuff? Yes, and playing Imperial Assault, we had a lot of Star Wars fans at the table. They're really happy to play. I'm happy for them here, you know, have this. But does this app do anything else, anything else? That those previous apps didn't do, um, maybe, maybe it's just because I played the tutorial. But from what I'm hearing of people who've gone through it, it, it feels a, it feels a little bit half baked. Feels like this could have come out three weeks after the Descent app came out, and it didn't, be, <laughs> and it didn't because Absolutely. of the Star Wars license. That's that's like, exactly that's what, what Peter like. said. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, they this thing did not need to take so long to come out. You're right. They didn't do much different than they did with the Descent app. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that, check out episode 13. So I'm gonna. I started off on a downer. So you guys talk me up. Tell me why I should be more excited about this. Well, I, I, I don't know, Peter. I honestly don't know how much you liked it. We only played uh, those couple of missions. I think if it was right now, and this was all the game was ever gonna be, and this is all we had, I would rather get Descent because I think there is more content to it. They've done more with the expansions. They've added more. Now, don't get me wrong. They've had a lot more time to do it. But I also feel like. Descent's AI was a lot easier than this AI to play with. I felt like there were so many complicated terms that they added in to the AI just to make it feel almost like you're playing a video game. Like they're running out, they're shooting you, and then they're running back. Descent didn't do any of that, right? They just ran up and hit you, you know? And so, yes, maybe tactically this game has a little bit more but I didn't really feel like I was making that many more tactical choices in it. So I felt like the more complex AI didn't add to my enjoyment of the game. And again, maybe after playing it four or five more times, it's going to become more intuitive. But I feel like they added some Chrome in there that they didn't need to. And I don't think it added to the game for me. So I'm not down on it. I still like the game. I think I prefer Descent, again, currently just because of the amount of content that's out for it. But... I see potential in the future. I just wish that they had kept the AI rule streamlined. All right, so I guess I'll be the, the most positive. Lift this up. Come on, bring um, this up. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to like say it's amazing. So first of all, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Jason, everything Peter's saying. It just didn't bother me as much. Yeah, the content is light. That's to be expected, you know. Although with the amount of development time, I kind of expected them to have a bit more ready at launch, but hopefully stuff will come fairly quickly. I love the Descent app. Not just because I think it's, like, the best game design itself, just because my son is so into it and I've played it with him so much, and the fact that a five-year-old can get so much joy out of such a simple running system is great. So Imperial Assault, you know, the, the big difference is it is super similar to the Descent app. I personally like the theme better. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Don't get me wrong, I, I love Sword and Sorcery, you know, hack 'em ups too, but I'm a big, big Star Wars fan, so that totally hits my buttons. Um, I generally like the design of Imperial Assault, the competitive game, more than the design of Descent. I think the upgrades they meant were all for the good. So just the fact that it is a more up-to-date game system, I enjoy more. I will agree with Peter that the AI is more complex. And on the negative side, I think that slightly slows down the game. But I do think it leads to more tactical options. I do think the enemies act in a more intelligent way. That's something my wife commented on when she was playing. She was like, wow, it makes sense that they would run away and not get shot by me. And I was like, yeah, it does. So, you know, your results may vary. I I think it's kind of like comparing 
you know, like something like Massive Darkness's AI, which is basically no AI at all. It just runs at you, but it's really quick to play. To, uh, you know, Sword and Sorcery, where you have, like, this complex stuff and it can be a little crunchy to figure it all out. I'm into the crunchy, personally, and I run the crunchy quickly. Like, I can look at those charts of actions and do it pretty fast. So I'll say, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a caution to other people who might not want to dive into those, that complex AI. But for me, it's all gravy and I really enjoy it. I also enjoy, so far, and these are just things I can say based on playing a couple of missions. So far, I think the level design is more interesting than Descent overall, at least the Descent, like, opening mission. Both the missions I've played so far, without spoiling anything, have had unique wrinkles that weren't like anything else I had played. Whereas Descent, the majority of the missions are very, like, basic, just hack and slash, kill everything kind of missions, or get to the spot while killing everything's kind of missions. So I appreciate that so far. Hopefully that trend continues. And also, it's just a minor rules change, but I really love how they've changed the healing rules. So for those who are familiar with the Descent app, there is no healing except for items. And if you're playing with the uh, the official, I think, update to the two-player rules, you can get some free healing if you don't attack an extra time. Uh, and in the basic Imperial Assault rules, healing is, like, easy as anything. You can just take two rest actions on your turn and heal 5 to 10 damage in one go. So they've taken away that overly easy healing and kind of reached a middle point where when you rest, you can use a med pack, but you have a limited number of them. And I love resource management, so that all works for me too. So I'm really excited by it. I thought uh, especially the second mission that Peter and I played had kind of more exciting and thematic things going on in it. But the first mission was really exciting too, and they felt completely different from each other, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of Imperial Assault anyway. I've bought almost all the big box expansions and several of the small expansions. So I guess this is kind of, I'm the target audience anyway. But I'm not sure if I'm going to convince you guys to love it. I don't know if I should. I think it is a little bit of an interesting, uh, they made some interesting design choices that might kind of put off some people. But for me, it all works. And playing it solo or playing it with my family, as long as I'm running the AI, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, play out of it. I'm actually going to disagree with Peter and say that among the two, Descent or Imperial Assault, maybe we're just talking about the app, but I'm just talking about the games themselves. I'd much rather play Imperial Assault because I don't have another game like it. I don't have another space, yeah, tactical skirmish, whatever game like that, where if I'm playing Descent, I have a billion games <laughs> yeah. like it. I'd, I think, I, I I don't know where you guys landed, but I like Sword of Sorcery better than Descent in, in basically every way, at least as a co-op. So, because, I don't know, I just, eh, whatever. But the but Imperial Assault, there's no game like it on the market besides Descent. So if the app kind of opens up a little bit, I, I get more excited about the missions, and then they add more content to it, then maybe it'll, like, you know, it'll kind of slowly draw me in. I'm just talking about, like, like, you were talking about, like, advanced stuff, like, okay, what you could do in there. I'm talking about, like, when you first open the screen and the sure, options that sure. you take and the turn-by-turn kind of flow of it. I'm looking at it going, man, all I have to do is close my eyes and, like, it's, it, it, it becomes, like, you know, laser beams replacing the orc drums. It's the same <laughs> thing. So I was. Oh my gosh, like literally the title screen is like almost the same poses as Descent, and the music is like, even though it's Star Warsy, it's like, man, yeah, no, it's 100% true. I mean, even like the menus look similar. Like they definitely did not reinvent much of anything. And hey, it's a free right. app, yeah. so more power to them. But yeah, it is a little weird. Like such a long development time. Why does it look identical to the Descent app? And why does it feel almost identical to the Descent right. app? So- 
And, I'm with and you. so, like, but like I said, there's no game out there that's quite like Imperial Assault in terms of the theme and the mechanics. So, whatever they can do to kind of keep that going and liven it up, I'm for. I'm waiting for more. Just, you know, like, I, just waiting. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to go back a little bit and kind of agree with Mike. It's funny you mentioned that healing system. I do think I like the healing system better in Imperial Assault. I love how that works because there are decisions involved. Basically, in this Send app, when you die, you lose one of your extra lives. Whereas in this, it's a tactical choice when I want to rest and use those med packs, who I want to use them on. And it can be a tough choice at some point. So I do like how they did that differently. And I agree with Mike completely. The level design so far from what we've seen has been really cool. So I do think those are some upgrades. Maybe they spent a little more time on the story than they had done on Original Descent. And what I was talking about earlier, Jason, was I think right now where the apps are, not necessarily the games themselves, where the apps are right now, which would I rather play, which has more content, which has more bang for your buck. If you take it out right now, I think it's Descent. But I mean, within six months, a year, that could very easily change. And Imperial Assault could definitely overtake it with amount of content. And if they do something to simplify that AI, that's my biggest negative with it right now, is I think it does take away from me. And I know Mike runs it and he was running it smoothly. But when I just looked at that list, I'm like, I don't even know what it's telling me to do here. You know, and anytime I have to do that for a game, anytime I have to stop and either look something up or figure something out, it just takes me out thematically from the game. Like it, it takes my immersion and I'm gone. I'm somewhere else. Now I'm trying to figure out rules and not playing the game. Well, I, I will say briefly, I, I believe, Peter, you never played the tutorial, right? I did not. Yeah, and, and, and just to explain for people at home, the tutorial does go through... Well, Jason, you might agree or disagree with this. I think the tutorial goes through what the AI commands mean and how you resolve them in a pretty thorough way. It, it felt that way for me. So, Peter, it might not seem as intimidating if you do the tutorial. I already had done everything, so I just kind of threw us in. But maybe that was a disservice to you because it made it seem scarier than it actually is. Because in the end, you're just, rev- you're, you know, you're, you're resolving the first two things that you come to. So even though there is a list of, like, eight things, you only get to, like, the first two or three 70 or 80 percent of the time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And that could definitely be true as well. And again, I like the game. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely if you have Imperial Assault, there's no reason not to try. it. Sure. And if you don't, I mean, Imperial Assault is a great one versus many game and a great skirmish game. Like we enjoy the one V one skirmish a lot. So, heck, now you've got a free co-op app, at least for five scenarios. Go get Imperial Assault if you haven't already, if you have any interest in the theme or any of the stuff there. Yep. I'm going to agree with all that. Well, thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you in two weeks. The other quick note I wanted to say is, actually, it's going to be three programming notes. Another quick note that I wanted to put in. we're never going to start this episode, dude. (laughs) We we are. This is the episode right here. Tune in for part two of our review of Pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, and the last thing I wanted to tell you is that there might be some spoilers in this episode. We're not going to cover... No, I don't want to say that at all. That is not true. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy spoilers. We're going to spoil the whole game for you. (laughs) Let me tell you what happens in November. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, at least we'll have outtakes. Don't have to worry about that. (laughs) I got to tell you about who is up next. Was that your number two? No, no, no. He's right. I hammered up. For some reason, I thought that I was the last one to speak, and then it was Jason. Yeah, no, no. 
I'm sorry, man. Start again. You're beautiful. We know I'm beautiful. <laughs> that, so don't best. mess. <laughs> don't mess with my flow, man. I mean, I don't know because we're not through. So this can't be a spoiler because I don't know if it would change <laughs> right. you know, how we're doing things. Or how we're we we're too dumb to spoil this. <laughs> <laughs> More so than any uh, pandemic version I can think of. More so than any pandemic. This one gives <laughs> Mike, you dropped out. Whatever you did. Bye-bye, Mike. See you later. Whatever you did. Just don't do it ever again. Yeah, undo what you just did. <laughs> control Z, Control Z. What, is it gone again? No, I'm just laughing because your head is like buried in your mic. I'm I'm trying to make it work, man. I know. Well, I'm not ready for the end. I'm actually going to derail us again on maybe a long conversation. Oh, my God. We can edit out whatever we need to. We're we're getting – okay, go ahead. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, uh I guess we don't really have to sign off because this is after dark. <laughs> Not after, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Co-opcast after dark. <laughs> Later, everybody.